right now we can go straight to our guest and we're going to allow you to interact with him as well. I'm joined on the line by Mobilian Glovu, the founder of Cash and Sport, who can talk to us a lot about sports gambling, sports betting generally. Mobile, wonderful to have you on the show. Good evening and welcome. Mr. Abramson, good evening. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So much to unpack here about uh, sports betting. I just want to ask you generally, have you noticed a big impact in the sports betting industry, let's say in the last maybe two, three years, while it's become a lot more accessible for people sitting at home to, to be able to be make bets on their phones? Yes. Um, I worked in the sports betting industry for eight years prior to what I'm doing now. Um, the prevalence of mobile phones has, has ensured that a lot more people are able to access sports betting platforms and the growth of sports betting has grown. And I know currently uh, sports betting is now bigger than casino in terms of the number of bets placed. And South Africans waged about 10.6 billion in wow. 2019, 2020. Uh, so yeah, that's, there's some big numbers going through sports betting and in terms of that i mean a lot of that is money that people maybe can't really afford and i think you know what let's just take a punt on this it seems a near certain thing let's put money on this try get a little bit of money and increase the situation off and they put themselves in in a lot of danger financially and otherwise yeah that's true it does happen uh, that 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 people you know go into problem betting um situations and uh, just listening to the voice note i think that you had just now where mm. where the person saying he's betting on both teams to score um the, the rule of thumb is that the house always wins and and the house does always win <laughs> so yes. yeah it, it does happen uh that that people do win yes once in a while i guess that's the allure of it when you see someone having won a large amount of money you want to also get in on the action mm -hmm. but chasing winnings and chasing chasing losses is a recipe for for disaster I suppose uh, bookmakers and the people who establish the odds, they work with the statistics, they have all the figures at their disposal. So they set odds that are obviously in their favor in the long term. So if you play long term, unless you have a, an incredible streak of good luck, the chances are that you're probably going to win more, or lose more than you win, as would happen, for example, in a casino situation where the house has a certain advantage. Have you noticed that to be the experience of, of people who generally uh, bet on sport? Generally, um, over time, the house will win. Um, it's, it's, it's the general trend. Once, it's generally, if, if, if you're greedy, uh, people will, will chase wins. Um, and over time, you will, you will end up losing. Um, I mean, there are instances where, where someone hits it big and they leave. Mm. Uh, but for the most part, the moment you go back in, you, you will probably lose that money that you won. And you will give the house more than, than, what, you, than what you would have won. So if you do win, take the money and run uh, and close the account and don't go back. <laughs> but, it, it, <laughs> but, it's, but it's it's like smoking, I suppose, in a way. Once the addiction is there and once you've won money, you're very, very tempted to win more. It takes a, a really brave, uh, not a brave person, a person who has got incredible self-control to be able to walk away from a big win and not be tempted to go in again. Yeah, it, it does. Um, and, and I don't have stats in, with, with regards to how to the percentage of people who, who choose to come back and, and not come back. Right. But it is it, it is prevalent that um, people who, who gamble, who gamble compulsively over the long term will lose. Um, so, so those who, who are betting and betting compulsively, um, if they can take a look at, at you know, uh, do a spreadsheet based on the on the wins and losses, 
they would know it's it's it's, it's not looking good on the on the wind column, and it's usually skewed towards the losses column. So many options these days, also on on events that you can bet on within a game. For example, when the first corner takes place or the minute of the first goal. Now the, these are this is a very very inexact science. I mean, you can have uh, you can have a situation where you don't have a corner until very late in the game. You can have corners back to back. It's a it's a very difficult thing to pinpoint exactly. So have you found uh, in your experience of, of having a look at this and just dissecting the figures that there are certain bets that are maybe more profitable, safer for people to play rather than playing a lottery, for example, of when the first free kick is going to be given or the minutes of the first goal or situations like that? Not specifically because that wasn't necessarily my field while I was while I was in the in the sector. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a statistics team that would look at that type of stuff. Um, but but essentially, um, you know, I, I can't I can't speak to the figures because I, I will probably get them wrong. Okay. Um, but but I can tell you that uh, generally, Africans and the way that Africans bet is, is, is quite different to to the way that Europeans would bet. Africans would 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 bet smaller amounts of money on large accumulators, okay. and an accumulator is multiple matches with, with, within a bet that 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 increases the odds or dramatically increases the odds, but it's, it's got lower risk amounts. Right. Whereas in, in, in more mature markets like in Europe, a person would have three or four legs on a, on a, on a multi-bet um, with a larger amount of money, but because they're hedging, they're, they're thinking based on their, on their research and analysis that it, it's a lot easier for them to get three results right than to get 20. Right. Uh, but the but the return is lower. But obviously, they would be looking to to play that and 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 roll that over over a longer period of time. Uh, in terms of which markets are specifically uh, more popular, um, the the novice better would usually go for the for the for the straight one x two or the the home draw yes. or away, uh, which you know which they think they they understand because they play a bit of fantasy football. They think <laughs> the team is on form. Right. Um, and then the the more experienced bettors might hedge their bets and go with a one uh, x two and both teams to score, or one x two and uh, and up and, and under two point five type of market, which um, you know it, it hedges your bets when you go with a with a one x two. You can either go with a draw uh, home um, and 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 the certain number of goals that you think would happen in a game. But there are individuals who study this and 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 look at this on a, on a full time basis. Mm. Um, where where they where, where they might look at p- perhaps other sports like tennis, which are much more stats heavy and stats reliant, yes. and bet on things like tennis or or uh, or NFL or basketball, uh, which are with, where the results are much more uh, reliable. I was about to, that was going to be my next question. In fact, uh, about we we're talking specifically about soccer, about football, uh, but. Of course, in, in cricket, we've had many, many betting scandals over the years. We know about the Hansi Karania situation and uh, match fixing that's happened. We know that there are tennis players who deliberately played badly, served double faults, lost crucial points uh, at certain stages. Or in cricket, a bowler who will bowl a no ball in a, at a specific point in a match to... Uh, because there's been a spread at that particular point uh, or horse racing of course big big odds big money flowing around there uh, have you found that of late with with the new punters sort of coming into the market that soccer betting has increased a lot relative to the other sports or is there a pretty good mix across the board football betting is by far the largest um, if you look at england um, as an example 
um, over 70% of bets are in football in South Africa. That's probably higher. It's closer to 80 to 90%. Um, and, and, and it's not surprising. Football is the biggest and most followed sport in the world. So it, it kind of, you know, uh, follows that, uh, the number, the, the largest number of bets will be on football. Mm. Um, and, and just by, just for curiosity's sake, if, if you, if you're interested to know what the levels of of match match fixing or match manipulation are, people would assume that there's thousands of games that are fixed every year. It's actually not. Mm. It's less than it's less than. Um, from my last check, it's less than five percent of matches globally that are fixed. Um, and uh, people assume that it's the top tier matches that are hardest to fix. It's not. It's usually the third division games, which are not on television. There's no one really monitoring. It's much more. It's much more difficult mm. at the top level. It's very, very difficult to fix matches because there's statisticians watching um, games. There's algorithms to pick up uh, match manipulation, and it's much, much more difficult to 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 fix a match um, at a top level of any sort of sport, whether it's cricket, rugby, or, or otherwise. Um, but yeah, there's. There's a lot of activity going on in football and it's and it's growing every day. Chatting here to Ngobile Ndlovu, who is the founder of Cash and Sport, talking to us about sports betting, sports gambling, if you like. If you have experiences, please get your voice notes in and we'll play those for our guest and let him respond to some of the comments that we have. Uh, you mentioned, as you say, that it, it is extremely difficult because everything is so scrutinized so carefully. You have multi-cameras at all these major events. And yet, uh, incidents do happen, as you say, not so much in the high-profile games, but certainly down the line, there are players who've admitted it every day so virtually stories come out about certain match manipulations even if it's just a minor incident within a game rather than fixing the results of the game itself so have you found that over the years there's been a, a clamp down people are a lot more aware about it and and it's more easy to spot what's going on or as you say uh, does it is it a lot more difficult in the lower profile sports where uh, irregularities can happen on a day-to-day -day basis and people might just gloss over it because they, they, they're not aware of exactly what has happened in that match. Um, so perhaps in my in my attempting to explain this, let me explain how match man manipulation is picked up. Yeah, please. Every, 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 um, every registered bookmaker who is registered to a licensed organization has to also register uh, with the sports integrity body. That sports integrity body um, then monitors betting activity across the board, and they use uh, mathematical um, algorithms to pick up um, trends and, and activity. And when and when they do pick up that there there is um, suspicious trends and activity, they will ask that bookmaker, or that bookmaker may actually, um, because usually they would have their own monitoring and, and evaluation. That bookmaker may actually report it and say, "We picked up some suspicious trends and activity here." Um, we're not sure or we are sure that we've picked up a, a, a syndicate of some sort um, and then that would be that would be flagged and usually what would happen is that uh, for instance in Ghana a lot of bookmakers don't take bets in Ghana anymore because mm. once you have a, a certain trend bookmakers would stop taking bets on those on those markets All the right. reason why that sports integrity body exists is that if a bookmaker doesn't report suspicious activity and they do pick it up um, they can then also lose their license and they wouldn't be able to, to, to have certain, they wouldn't have, have access to certain things such as, uh, such as data and they wouldn't be able to, to be part of this body, which between the, the bookmakers, they also, they, they, they can monitor each other. They know roughly what odds other bookmakers are placing and it allows them, it helps them to be able to set their odds 
if that if they're removed from that from 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 that institution, it makes things a little bit more difficult for them. Plus, also it removes that that tick next next to their book to say that you are uh, mm. a bookmaker with integrity and um, and you're trustworthy. Now the problem is that a lot of match manipulation happens with unregistered bookmakers. Right. For instance, the black market of bookmaking, which um, some people would have a website that's come up overnight. Like I'm sure you would have seen um, that that situation where there was an Indian uh, fake um, IPL league that that was spamming people and they made millions. Hmm. I think off of Russians betting betting on that league. <laughs> yes, that, that was yes. it, it. Didn't exist. But but that's where that's where a lot of uh, fraud and stuff happens where it's unregistered and, and it's it's not really tracked or or um, you know it's not really monitored properly and that's that's the distinction that people need to realize that the companies that you see advertising on television and so on and so on that want people to be to know what they're doing those ones are very usually very clean it's the ones that that you don't see that are under the radar with where a person may go around the corner to place a bet. That's where a lot of uh, match manipulation happens. Just one final question before we go to our break, and then we have some voice notes coming in. So we'll play those for you a little later on and let you respond to those. I'm not being a person who bets on sport myself because I've learned the hard way. I'm a statistician by trade, and therefore I know the odds are heavily against me, and I, I don't like to take risks generally. But I'm just wondering how it would work, how bookmakers are able to set their odds so precisely that there's very little deviation among the top bookmakers, for example, on a particular event, how they would be very consistent with their odds so you don't have an arbitrage situation effectively occurring where you can play one off against the other and take advantage of, of uh, slight odds in your favor in the market. How do bookmakers bookmakers pinpoint their odds so carefully every bookmaker usually has a trading team and the trading teams would for one by one have have their own internal odds that they that they're generally setting and the, they would have systems um, or, or algorithms that pick up based on trends and upcoming matches what what it looks like and then the trading team would also then do do a, a an analysis across the market to see what other mark, what what other bookmakers are, are are setting their odds at. Obviously, some bookmakers want to compete with other bookmakers on on odds, and it is possible that you might find higher odds on one bookmaker than the other. Mm. Uh, but generally, bookmakers not only monitor the market for themselves, but they also look at what other bookmakers what other bookmakers are, are pricing their odds at, and they try and compete roughly they're they're about they don't want to lose money obviously mm. that's then and and you know if the market is setting setting an odd at a specific amount there's a specific, there's a very good reason for that um and if you're going to deviate too much from that to try and lure in more punches you might lose money so that's why you'll generally see there's there's sort of um, there's usually some sort of alignment with bookmakers um uh, because they 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 watch what each other are doing as well Right. It's a fascinating discussion. It's, it creates a lot of talk, talking points. Hope we're educating you as listeners, wherever you might be listening and learning a little bit about how the industry works and how you can maybe take advantage of the situation or just learn a little bit more so that you don't lose so much money going forward. The voice notes are streaming in. We're going to pay the rent. We'll be back shortly to take your voice notes and hear some more comments and extend the interview, talk about various other aspects of sports betting. That's after this. On the money, on Top Sport with Michael Abramson. 
And just talking about Gavin Hunt, as you heard in my interview last night with Stan Matthews. By the way, if you want to hear that interview and you missed it, it's well worth hearing. It is on the SAFM website, safm.co.za. You can go to the sports section of podcasts. There's a section called podcasts. Click on podcasts. It will bring up the top sport interviews and you can go and listen to that interview in full as well as all the other interviews we conduct on the show. Normally it's loaded the day after the interview takes place. So go onto the website and pick it up. I can tell you talking about Gavin Hunt and Supersport United, they are currently nil-nil after about 14 minutes at Peter Mokaba Stadium against Maruma Gallant. Just a reminder, if Maruma win, they'll go up from 14th to 11th on the table. And if Supersport United even draw, they will go ahead of Pirates into second spot. That's as of this evening, with, of course, around about four matches still to come for each team. But we're talking about sports betting today. We want you to share your experiences, ask any questions to our guest, anything you'd like to know about the industry, or just how it has it been for you when you watch sport how do you bet and what particular odds do you look at when you make your decisions in terms of which team to support let's listen to a few of your voice notes good evening michael and your team you know michael i have nothing good to say about sports gambling i remember at one point when i won 1400 with a wedge amount of 15 rand and that 1.4 was taken bit by bit until it was finished and that's when i decided to stop gambling Thank you. This is Sakhalin Zubin from Angshabia Lingan. Hi there, my name is Peter. I'm uh, using an app called Betway to bet sometimes on uh, sports, especially football and that. And one thing I know for sure is that there's no guarantees. I mean, a team like Liverpool could lose to Everton. You never know. Uh, obviously, that is probably not going to happen, but it can. Um, I think the biggest lesson in uh, online betting I've learned is that accept a loss with maturity. I have a hundred rand a month that I use and if I don't get lucky on the first bet, uh, I do one bet maybe that weekend, if I don't get lucky, I accept the loss of maturity. I wait until the month is up and then maybe I'll try my luck again, but I don't ever try and recuperate my losses because the important lesson here is don't gamble to win, gamble to enjoy. Uh, so that is my personal lesson in this whole um, uh, story. Uh, it should never really be to make money because everyone will get burned. Uh, if you do make money, great, but you're only going to want to make more. And that is a bad attitude to have. Peter from Durban. Thank you so much, Peter. And to all our listeners who've phoned in with their messages, yeah, that's the advice I give as a statistician to people who want to play the lottery, for example, every week. I say to them, set aside a little bit of money if you want to play 10 Rand, 20 Rand, 50 Rand, whatever you can afford. Play that. If you win, good luck to you. Fantastic. If you lose, put that money aside and forget about it for that week. You've, you've spent money. It's like going out to a restaurant. You've had your meal. You've seen your show. You've done whatever you've needed to do. You've spent money on something that's enjoyable for you, but it's money that you can afford. So uh, thanks for those wise words. Keep your voice notes coming in because this is your show as much as it is ours, especially tonight. My guest uh, on the line, Mobile Ndlovu, the founder of Cash and Sport, to talk to us about the industry in, in particular. And Mobile, I'm not sure if you want to respond to any of those voice notes, basically backing up what, what you've said about people are, in the long term, more likely to lose than to win. Don't gamble with your lunch money. Like, <laughs> that's basically, that's, 
that's that's basically the the motto is it's, it's as that last gentleman said uh, unfortunately the voice not was a bit difficult to hear but i think okay. at the end he said um um you know he he puts a certain amount uh, away every month and if he wins with that amount great if he doesn't sure not a problem it's no 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 skin off his back so as long as you're betting with money that you can afford and it's fun and it's entertainment, then fantastic. If if for you, betting means whether you eat or don't eat during that day, yeah. then it's a problem. 100%. I'm totally in agreement with you on that. Just want to talk to you about what's been going on in England in the Premier League recently. Uh, this new agreement where clubs have, have decided to ban matchday front-of-shirt sponsorship deals with gambling companies from the summer of 2026. Now, that affects eight different teams in the Premier League at the moment. Bournemouth, Brentford, Everton, Fulham, Leeds, Newcastle, Southampton, West Ham. Uh, those are the eight sides that are sponsored on the front of their jerseys by betting companies. They're going to effectively lose those sponsorships. They're going to have to look elsewhere for sponsorship deals. But interestingly enough, the English Premier League have, are still allowing those gambling companies' names to be on, on sleeves, for example, maybe in smaller font, just not on the front of the jerseys. And they're allowing it on their advertising boards in stadiums. So what can we read into that? It seems a bit of an inconsistency. The only ban is, is the front of shirt. Everywhere else it's allowed. Um, a, a player will, will have the, the post-match presentation for, for the man of the match and you'll see 20 betting logos on the, on the, on the, on the screen behind the player. Mm. So it's only on the front of shirt that, that it affects uh, teams. And as you said, it's only from 2026. Um, so it's not going to be a, a huge effect. But in general, 17 of the 20 clubs in the Premier League have a betting partner or betting partnership of, of some sort. And 17 out, out of the 24 teams in the championship have a betting partner or betting partnership yes. of some sort. So even beyond the eight that you mentioned um, from, from you know having a front of shirt, all of, almost all of the other ones have a betting partner of some sort, whether it's official betting partner or sleeve sponsor or something to that effect. They all have betting partnerships. So and what, it's not going to be a huge effect, to be honest. So uh, what are the implications then going forward in terms of this? Is, is it, is, do you think it'll come down to a situation where they say, OK, shirt sleeves no longer allowed? Or is it just such a big industry and it's making so much money for the clubs that they're not going to vote against it? It's, so, so the first part that, that we need to consider is the fact that this wasn't a government ban. The government basically said to the Premier League clubs, we want you to regulate yourself. And I think they took a leaf out of what happened in Italy and Spain. So at Cash and Sport, when we did the research, if you look at what happened in Italy in 2019, they put a blanket ban yes. on, on sports betting, um, which means no sleeve, no advertising billboards, no front of shirt, no nothing. That had a huge effect. Spanish, uh, Italian teams are no longer able to compete in the transfer market. When last did you see Juventus buying a player for huge money. The right. last season was in 2018-19 when, when, when they bought all of those players. But since the ban, they've gone quiet in the market. In Spain, they, they, they also had a similar effect when they, when, when they instituted their ban. But Spain also learned the lesson from, from Italy in that they didn't, do, they didn't institute a blanket ban. They said no front of shirt and they said um, no, no, no advertising, but you can have a betting partner in a foreign country mm -hmm. and superimpose a betting logo in that country, but it just mustn't be view viewable to Spanish viewers. So they had technology in Spain, which allows for when a person is watching a Spanish TV game, uh, a Spanish football game uh, on television in South Africa, they'll see a betting logo, but in, in, in Spain they won't see it because there's this technology that, that kind of splits the, 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 
the, the, the image for, for people. So in England, they've gone even a few steps back and they said, we'll still allow all the, all the advertising and everything else. It's just the front of shirt. So essentially what I'm saying is that England is very, very understanding of the fact that they don't want their teams to be hugely affected in terms of their, mm. able, their ability to compete in the transfer market because of loss of revenue. We'll take a few more calls and round up the interview and get a few more thoughts from you right after this. We are on the money on Top Sport with Michael Abramson. So just wrapping up our interview on sports betting for tonight with our guest, Mobile Ndlovu, the founder of Cash and Sport. Mobile, I've just got uh, two more questions to ask you. Uh, firstly, you've, we've spoken about the English market and you've gone into that quite comprehensively. But in South Africa, we don't seem to have the same problem there. It don't seem to be betting companies sponsoring the front of, of South Africans' uh, major soccer team shirts. Why is that the case? Uh, what is the ruling as far as South Africa is concerned? And then just a, a Finally, advice that you would maybe give to pundits out there, people who want to look to bet on sport, what advice would you give them in terms of that? If I can ask you both questions together. Oh, that first one is a bit tricky. <laughs> so, so technically speaking, the Premier Soccer League does allow for betting companies to sponsor football teams. Right. However, um, there is a view within the industry that the league doesn't like it. And and I'll say that loosely because I won't speak for the league, mm-hmm. um, but generally the league, whenever whenever a team or individual goes out to try and get a sponsorship from a betting company, they, they oppose it. So technically it is allowed, but realistically speaking, they, the league opposes it. Um, the second question was with regards to... Um, um, to could advice. You, could you repeat the second question? Yeah, oh, yeah. just just advice. briefly, um, advice that you would give pundits, people listening to the show, in terms of how they would structure their betting or what they should look to do. If if I were to give anyone advice, is do it to enjoy it. It's a it's a banter thing amongst mates. Right. Don't do it as a as as a, as as anything to make money. You're not going to make a million rand. The the one percent of or less than one percent of people who ever make a million or a hundred thousand are, are very lucky. It's like those people who win the lotto. Everyone else, you're probably going to lose money. Uh, so do it as a, as a piece of, as a bit of enjoyment. It's fun, you know, between mates and you, and you banter about me knowing my football better than you, but don't do it to make money. And, and if you're going to bet, bet smart, look at, learn your markets, understand the different sports and the types of sports that will give you the best sort of return, such as possibly tennis, table tennis, right. um, ice hockey, for instance. There's all sorts of different types of bets. If you're going to play fantasy league and say, I, I predicted that Arsenal was going to win this week and that's going to be your betting strategy, you are guaranteed to lose. So learn your markets, understand what different markets mean, understand what different combinations mean, understand what bolder bet means, understand what what everything means, understand the entire value chain of betting, right. and then start formulating strategies that work in your favor. If you're just going to bet on on off of your your five-year-old knowledge of football yeah. or yeah. whatever sport it is, right. you're guaranteed to lose money. 
Sound advice. Thank you so much for your input tonight. Mobilian Dlovu, the founder of Cash and Sport. We look forward to having you back on the show sometime in the near future to chat more about this very, very interesting topic. Thank you so much for your time. Let's go straight to your voice notes about the quiz question. I asked you who scored Bafana Bafana's first ever World Cup goal and against which team? Hello, hello, hello. I'm speaking with Ashley Tobezani. Um... Simpiwechawala is the one who scored the first goal in the 2010 World Cup. Uh, Bafana Bafana was playing against Mexico. Dango. Good evening, Kevin and team. Um, the first player to score a goal for Bafana Bafana at the World Cup finals was a certain Benedict McCarthy. This was in France, 1998. We were playing against Denmark, I think. Yes, I think we were playing Denmark, if I'm not sure, because we, sh- we drew that game 2-2, if I remember, or if not 1-1. Yeah. Hey, Pramike, all of those guys are wrong. Siabo Honomvet against Paraguay, 2002 World Cup in Korea. And when it comes to the betting, to this day on my phone, soccer 10. Only. I don't do anything else. Only soccer 10. Simple. Hello, 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 hello. Mr. Fukewa Wulawula ka SAFM. It's Sipua Chavalala against Mexico. Shaba, Shaba, Shaba against Mexico. Well, I really thought it was an easy question tonight, but only one listener got it right. I didn't ask you who scored the first goal in the 2010 World Cup. I said who scored Bafana Bafana's first ever World Cup goal at a World Cup finals. And the answer was, of course, Benny McCarthy, who equalized against Denmark. Our listener who got that question right was spot on in a one-all draw, not a two-all draw. It was a one-all draw. The match took place on the 18th of June, 1998 in Toulouse. In South Africa's second match of the tournament, they had previously lost 3-0 to France in their opening game, the host nation, of course, and then they went on to draw 2-all with Saudi Arabia, with Sean Bartlett scoring a brace, but they didn't advance from that group. Then, of course, in 2002, Nomvete did score in the opening game of the 2002 World Cup, and then who will forget that moment? Probably the highlight of my broadcasting career sitting in the stadium in 2010 at Soccer City and commentating on Chabalala's goal flying into the top corner of the net to give South Africa the lead in the opening game of the 2010 World Cup against Mexico, but then Mexico equalizing. And then late in in the last minute of the game, we hit the post. Otherwise, it could have been a very, very different World Cup. But the answer was Benny McCarthy equalizing against Denmark in a one-all draw back in 1998. That was Bafana Bafana's first ever World Cup goal. Hope you've enjoyed the show tonight. Lots more interaction from our listeners. Tomorrow night, we'll be talking boxing on our show, as well as updating you with various other bits of news, looking ahead to the Champions League matches tomorrow night and looking back on what happened tonight. I can tell you at Peter Mokaba, it's still nil-nil between Gallants and Supersport United after half an hour.